Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt Bellotti, and I'm really excited today to dig into how to think about balancing social impact and mission with revenue and growth roles. There's a natural tension there, uh, and I've been hunting around trying to get somebody that's done some growth work over at Headspace, which is one of my favorite companies, favorite products. And I'm really excited to have Kaya Patel, who is the Director of Product Management of Growth at Headspace. Kaya, thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, Headspace is one of my favorite products. Kaya has got a pretty deep background in growth work at Headspace currently prior at Dropbox. So Kaya, why don't you give a quick background on yourself and then we'll go ahead and jump in. Yeah, for sure. So I, like you mentioned, I've been at Headspace for about three years now, which is absurd to think about both a lot of time and no time at all. And at Headspace, I'm focused on growth, as you mentioned. And for me, what that means is more tactically things like our welcome flow, pricing, deciding what content is free versus paid, and thinking about the typical growth funnel. Um, And then also thinking about lifecycle communications like push, email, and modals along the way in that growth realm. And then really quickly, prior to Headspace, I was at Dropbox for about two and a half years. And that's where I learned kind of like the basic chops of being a growth PM and was on the growth and monetization team there, focusing on our B2B product mostly. And during that time, I loved learning about experimentation and being able to look at test results and see the impact Um, of millions of dollars that it was bringing in for Dropbox. But towards the end of my time at Dropbox, I eventually felt like I wasn't connected enough to the mission and a cause that was larger than myself that was having a societal impact, which is when I made that transition to Headspace with a much loftier mission that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and set the stage with, you know, how Headspace thinks about their social mission, and then we can dig in from there. Yeah, for sure. So Headspace is vision is to improve the health and happiness of the world, which, as I mentioned, is a pretty lofty, all-encompassing vision, and you can never really accomplish that full vision. So the way Headspace goes about trying to make progress and little steps towards that mission is essentially by providing audio and video guided content for our members to lean into mindfulness. So this can consist of anything from, let's say, like audio guided meditations on coping with grief for someone who maybe just lost their spouse to background music curated by John Legend to help with focusing while working from home or even breathing exercises to help with falling asleep, which is some of the content that I use the most every night before I go to sleep. And then many people who use or hear of Headspace associate it with destigmatizing mental health and caring for your own mind or dealing with things like burnout prevention, especially right now when many people are probably working from home or working too much and blurring those lines together. And even just like this notion of self-care and training your brain to be more present in the moment with so many distractions happening on a day-to-day basis. So that's really kind of the essence of Headspace's social mission and like our vision around how we can impact the world and people who are just humans in general trying to go about their day-to-day. And I love this too, because it creates such a natural tension around the, you know, core concept of, of growth is generally like get more revenue, get more outcomes, all that. But there's always a balance in the brand. And with this, there's like another layer to it. Not only are you balancing, you know, doing things that are right for the brand, but doing things that are fundamentally right for the user. So how do you think about the framing of that mission and what it means for you 
as you're operating day to day and even more strategically in growth, how does it impact how you think about it? Yeah, so you're exactly right, Matt, in that if I think back to my time at Dropbox, a lot of the decisions I was making as a growth product manager were literally only about revenue and increasing conversion rate, um, which then helped to increase our subscription rate or and revenue from there. In my role at Headspace, though, it's contradictory to that in some ways in that I'm balancing thinking about this vision to improve the health and happiness of the world every single day and balancing that with growth, which is bringing in revenue for the company. But the way I like to think about it and the way I've heard our CEO, Rich Pearson, talk about it in the past is that the two, vision and growth, have to go hand in hand. So they're so intertwined at a company like Headspace and a lot of other social enterprise organizations where by having revenue and fueling growth, you're able to essentially bring your mission to that next level and vice versa. So if you lean more into the mission, sometimes it can help with revenue as well. And I think we'll talk through some of those examples as well, but those that essentially allows you to then be able to play off of the two and um, have those two really work jointly together in order to have a company that has an impact on something in the world. So I think it would be amazing if we could step through We'll call it a a case study example from something that you did over at Headspace. So one thing that you had mentioned to me before we jumped on here was that Headspace has this student plan and you approached it from very much of that growth mindset of, should we do this? Should we not? Is it going to be a revenue driver? But we also want to, you know, support students. Can you give us the high level and then we'll dig into like how you, uh, you know, approach building it? So the high level of the student plan is... What happened was, uh, if I rewind and think back to the summer of 2018, which is when we were thinking about the student plan, it was actually something that our customer support and member experience team brought as an area that uh, our members were looking to for us to explore quite a bit. So they were looking for a different price point, different content for students, because students were in this position where they were super overwhelmed and stressed about what was happening in life. So that was kind of our problem area. And my team went about trying to solve for that problem area and create a student plan and pricing and launching that in order to address this population or the segment of users, which were so ripe in terms of what our mission stands for and being able to improve the health and happiness for this segment of our audience that we normally maybe don't tap into to as often. So on one hand, you could just approach it and say, well, our mission is that we want to support these people. So let's go ahead and roll it out, right? Do a discounted student plan and go for it. Uh, But the other side of it is it has to actually make some financial sense, right? Because it's a for-profit company. So how, like, what what did the bar look like for the, we should invest in this, we should do it? Like, what, what did that look like? Yeah. So if you were to ask someone on our finance team at the time who I was working really closely with, they would say something like uh, the bar had to be that from a revenue perspective or even from a subscriber number perspective, it had to be worth it in that we were gaining incremental subscribers and gaining incremental revenue. If you were to ask someone maybe on our content team or on our social impact team, they would say, are we serving this population of users, which are students who are, again, really stressed or overwhelmed for maybe the first time in their lives by entering a university environment or being away from home. So depending on who you asked, the bar was different. To me, the bar was actually 
being able to kind of um, have both of those hand in hand again and see if we could experiment to understand if those two could line up in a way that allowed, again, that mission and vision, mission and revenue perspective to be joint. So it's almost like there's a third, there's a, there's a layer to your job here, which is, it's not compromise, but it's, it's a heightened collaboration between those stakeholders to make sure that everyone feels like the needs are being met. Of course, in any growth or product role or marketing role, you still have to, you know, collaborate with all your stakeholders. But in this case, there are like fundamentals at play more so than in general, like for profit. That's the core goal outcome. Exactly. Yeah, there definitely is. And how that comes about is essentially each team or department, I would say, leans maybe one way or the other in terms of like mission versus revenue. But at the end of the day, all of us get behind something like having data or having experimentation tools in order to prove out going one way or the other. So luckily, because we speak that common language of let's just try it, let's just experiment with it, see what the experiment results say, that allows us to have an even playing ground across every single team and department at Headspace, which might go one way or the other in terms of mission versus revenue. So what did that experiment look like? How did you structure it? How did you get people on board? What was the criteria? Exactly. So in terms of experimentation, what we did was in June of 2018, we created this experiment plan where we looked to understand in market at places like Amazon Prime or at Spotify with their student plan, what were they pricing their student plan at and how should we reflect that at Headspace? So we ultimately decided to test three different price points, $99 a year, which was our control and our existing full price product, $49 a year, which was an intermediate 50% off type of product for our student plan, and then a really drastic $999 a year, which was giving our student plan about an 80% discount off of our full price product. So what this looked like more tactically was anyone who went to headspace.com slash subscriptions, they would see one of those variations. Either they would see our home, our headspace.com slash subscriptions with just the full price, or they would see headspace.com slash subscriptions with a student plan at $49 a year, or they would go to that page and see a student plan at $9 or $10 a year. And what we were essentially looking to test was between those three different treatment groups um, or variations, what would be the take rate in terms of being able to purchase both the full price plans and the student plans. So as you can imagine in that control group, which didn't even really offer a student plan, it was just showing that full price plan. Our revenue was pretty high because people were purchasing that full price $99 a year plan. But it's very, it was very unlikely that students would actually purchase that because it was at that full price. Whereas in the next variation where we had it at $49, we were seeing there are starting to be some students purchase at that $50 or $49 price point. Whereas in the final treatment, we were able to see people purchase still at the full price plan if they were not a student. 
And then a bunch of students come in on that $9.99 price plan. So we could see that students were actually not really purchasing at that $50 or $99 price point, and they were really gravitating towards that $9.99 price point. And mind you, this was set up as a typical kind of like A-B test or multivariate experience where only certain people get bucketed into each of those experiences. So you can't really see that we're testing. You don't really know that that's happening if you're landing on our page. So from there, what happened was um, we ran this experiment for a couple of weeks. And um, at the end of the experiment, we looked at uh, the number of people who are coming in on our uh, full price plan and the student plan and modeled out what the conversion rate was and what the subsequent revenue was from each of the treatment groups and the control group. And what we ultimately saw was in that treatment group with 999, we saw an increase in revenue and subscribers. So that showed that even though we were going like pretty low in terms of the price on student, it could be the right decision for us from both a revenue perspective and a subscriber's perspective. And then the other layer to that was we could see that students were excited about this by taking up this plan, meaning we were bringing in a new segment of users that we were not seeing at all in some of the other variations and really serving this population of group. And so ultimately, we moved forward with launching that $9.99 price point by starting in the U.S. for student plan. And we did that around back to school season in August of 2018 and then did another push around um, final season in November, December of 2018 as well. I love that. That is a beautiful experiment outcome. I know. So that's an ideal case. I was uh, like actually pleasantly surprised that it played out like this because imagine if it didn't or if on the control side that won out or even the 49 price point won out, we would probably be having a different conversation with like our finance team or social impact team or customer service team where we would have had to figure out is the price point, is it necessary to have that price point be a little bit higher at $20 or $49 like we tested instead of such a low rate that we tested and ended up working out. Yeah. And how do you reconcile the people that bought at 49 a year versus the people that bought at 999 a year? Like did you go back to those folks? Like I, I've always wondered like when you run deep experiments on pricing, how you approach the people that didn't wind up in the, you know, experiment outcome group. Yeah, so that's a that's a good question, Matt. Normally what we do at Headspace or what my policy is, is I work really closely with our member experience or support team. And usually what we do is anyone who reaches out, we award them with that lower price if they ask about it. Most people don't notice it or reach out. And in those situations, we can't always completely backtrack to figure out who it is just due to not being able to track their personal identifying information. But anyone who does reach out proactively, we usually honor that prorate it and make sure they're taken care of. Makes a lot of sense. So one other example that you had mentioned when we were chatting was how you strike this sort of balance around the free trial. And I was hoping maybe we can dig into that one as well, kind of the same way that we did with the student plan just now. 
Awesome. Yeah, that's another really great example or fun example of the mission and revenue conversation that is always in my head. But about a year ago in late 2019, we were exploring allowing first time subscribers to have a free trial of seven days or 14 days, kind of like the Netflix model or all these entertainment platforms. And to be honest, Headspace was probably a little bit late to the game in terms of offering a free trial. So we saw in market that our competitors and several others in health and wellness and fitness had a free trial that rolled into an annual product. So if I think of an example, at the time, Nike Training Club had a seven-day free trial rolling into an annual product. So what that looked like for a user was they had seven days of access to the full Nike Training Club content and videos before then having to pay a larger sum for an annual product. There was no option to pay monthly or every three months or any sort of smaller transaction fee. It was only the annual option. So what we did on our side was we actually started experimenting with only that, um, where a control allowed a member to directly purchase for Headspace since we did not have a free trial at the time. And then our treatment allowed um, people to purchase Headspace um, at the annual subscription, but had a seven-day free trial attached to that. And that was something that because we saw it in industry, we thought it would work for us. But internally, my team felt pretty conflicted about this because we were thinking through what about the people who could not actually purchase an annual product, which at the time was uh, like a huge chunk of change anywhere from it was around like $99 at the time. And then we were also thinking is seven days enough to really be able to trial the Headspace product. And if you think about it from a vision standpoint, in terms of like our social impact vision, we should be able to serve anyone, whether they can pay monthly, annual, whether our annual product is too expensive to them, they should be able to pay at a rate that's a little bit better to them. So what ended up happening is that first experiment that we did actually showed a decrease in revenue by only offering the free trial on our annual product. So I kind of went back to the drawing board with my team and even with our exec team that um, I was working with to get buy-in on this type of experiment and rolling out a free trial. And we decided to do a much more comprehensive test where we did a few different variations similar to that student plan. But what we did was we tested the direct purchase, which again was our control, versus that seven data annual, which we had already tested. And then we tested a third variation that allowed a free trial on both our monthly and annual product. So we still wanted to serve those members who might not be able to afford a monthly price because of our mission. And we balanced it by making the annual plan a little bit more attractive with a lower price, a longer free trial period, and highlighting that annual plan when you see the page, but still always giving the option of the monthly price for people who did not want to pay about 100 bucks for the annual and that that amount seemed daunting to them. So in the experiment results, we showed that that purchase screen with the option to have both the monthly, monthly and annual trials rolling into their respective monthly and annual subscriptions, one out in terms of conversion rate and revenue compared to the other options of our control, which was that direct purchase and the seven data annual, which we saw in industry and with our competitors. And what that meant for us was it was, again, an ideal example of trying to blend revenue impact and our social impact vision by still maintaining that monthly plan and also boosting our revenue and conversion rates in a way that was even more sustainable for the business with launching this free trial. 
it's almost as if having that mission and finding ways to be more supportive of users winds up being the best outcome anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in this situation, it was. I'll say that there's definitely challenges around that as well. But with this situation and the student plan one that I walked through, they worked out pretty well in terms of being able to be kind of like that devil's advocate for us that really lets us ask, like, is this the right thing to do for our members? Yeah. And for cases where, you know, maybe it's a not as broad reaching decision, but the team wants to experiment on I don't know, the onboarding flows of the signup page and just, you know, optimize it into oblivion. Like how how do you approach, like do, do you have a clear set of rules or principles when there is something where the team is saying like, well, we could go further or we could, should maybe stop here. Like, is there a clear set of things or is it just you approach it all case by case and work it out with the team? I don't think that there's actually a lot of tension about this at Headspace because most people know that this is actually something that they're going to have to think through as they join the company. It's something that we ask about in our interviews and people know that at the crux of Headspace is that balance of revenue and mission. And the way I think about it more on my team when we're experimenting too much or experimenting into oblivion, as you mentioned, is one of two things. The first is how can we get more data or more evidence one way or the other? And sometimes that is doing more experimentation or looking back at what our control was a year ago and retesting that to see if we've actually made enough progress. And then the second way is a little bit more just like personal and at a team level, which is asking what's honestly the right thing to do like ethically and as members of the product ourselves. So that second question is sometimes a little bit harder because we'll ask like, is this something we truly believe is right for the product? Is there anything else that we can do? Are there other solutions or variations that we should be adding to the experiment that are a little bit less salesy? And that type of conversation is really what feeds me in my role at Headspace because Not that many companies are actually having those types of conversations around how do we avoid dark patterns or what's actually best in terms of bringing our mission to life at the next level. So those are kind of the two key pieces around like the data and evidence, and then also asking what's right to do. And I love the part around the, what you're saying for data where you, you know, maybe a year later, go back and test the control that you had originally started with, right? You're not moving on and forgetting about that, but you're actually like checking yourselves along the way to make sure that you're still true to an increase from something that was maybe like three iterations ago or something. Exactly. Yeah. So an example of that is we, right now, Headspace has about probably like 10 to 15 pieces of content unlocked for anyone who's on our free version of Headspace before they upgrade to our Headspace Plus or our subscription product. But about a year ago, year and a half ago, there were probably like uh, 50 pieces of content unlocked. So we decreased the amount of content that was um, available in that free product in hopes that they would upsell. And we actually saw conversion rate lifts as a result of decreasing the amount of content in our free product. But right now, my team is getting ready to kind of test that again and see Was that actually the right decision? Is there something that's in the middle? Does it depend on the person and how they came into Headspace or their interests in terms of like what's right 
in that free version of the product. So it feels like we're still meeting our mission where it's meant to be, that people can still have access to the right content, make an informed decision before they upsell into our paid product. That's great. And what you were saying was that there's not generally a ton of tension internally, like people sign up and join the company knowing that there's this balance between mission and revenue and all that. But do you wind up in cases where like there needs to be a tie break between them, like where there's an argument where one side is saying like, clearly we should do this thing for the mission. And the other side is clearly we should do this thing for the revenue. Like how often does that come up? It sounds like really not that often. And is there a rule of thumb for kind of breaking that tie? Yeah. So I would say, actually, let me give you an example of that to kind of talk through it and something that might hit a little bit close to home. So earlier this year with COVID, Headspace really tried to be there in the moment for people globally. And an example of this was in the May timeframe. So May of 2020, we were considering allowing giving Headspace away for free for anyone who is unemployed. And Uh, What that meant was giving Headspace away for one year. Anyone who is unemployed could come to our website and redeem that and be able to have access to Headspace and all of our content, audio and visual for about a year. So in that type of situation, you can imagine that on my team on monetization, I'm thinking through like, what if these people would have even paid? Like, what is the risk to us in terms of cannibalization? And what I thought through at the time was um, essentially we were having that kind of conflict in my mind and across the organization around like what's right for our mission, which is obviously giving away this for free to those who are unemployed and impacted by COVID and um, the job situation at the time. On the other hand, we were thinking about our long-term or our longevity in terms of revenue and being able to potentially uh, profit off of this group that may not even be able to afford headspace, but really needs it in the moment. And that was kind of the wrong way to think about it. And what we ended up doing was our finance team actually modeled out what we do think will happen as a result of offering headspace for free for these for those folks who are unemployed. And we saw that it's really not that much of a risk to our business in terms of cannibalization, since these people may have not even been able to afford headspace in the first place, or that's not where they're going to be spending their money if they um, are, are without a job. So what we ended up doing was, um, again, modeling that out, de-risking what we were thinking as worst case scenario, which was somehow by doing this, uh, we would lose money or lose revenue. And then uh, buying or having our teams kind of like buy into that as this is honestly what's right to do for our mission even if there is any risk, we've de-risked it from a modeling perspective. And as soon as we put kind of like that data or evidence behind it is when I think people started feeling more comfortable with it in the sense that, sure, we don't really know exactly what will happen, but at least we have some way of having modeled this to know that there's probably low risk in terms of doing something that's truly the right thing to do for our mission and for our members and what's happening in the world at that time in May. That is a great example. Thanks for talking through that. Maybe one last question I got is, I'm sure that there are, you know, as your leadership team grows and expands, you're going to hire some people that are probably coming from backgrounds that are purely pure for-profit, not really mission-driven type places. And then you have other people that are really attracted to the mission and are coming from maybe a non-profit type background. And 
how how do you think about and how do you see like leadership maintaining like that what it sounds like is a really healthy balance between these two things like do you see it swinging a lot do you know is there like a learning curve for folks what does that look like from your perspective yeah so if i rewind a little bit when headspace first started about 10 years ago they actually were a nonprofit organization and an events based company and from there we transitioned to being for profit and with that transition and even going up until like the last year or so, I think you do see in our leadership team and even with people who are more on the grounds or operating on a team level that um, each person kind of has their own view of do they lean a little bit more towards the mission? Do they lean a little bit more towards revenue? And again, because of our hiring practices and the people we attract to Headspace, I think people know that they have to be thinking about that conflict um, themselves. And with their teams and in initiatives that they're working on. So I think on the whole, uh, there might be people who lean one way or the other, but all encompassing, if you look at our entire employee population at Headspace and even like the initiatives that we do or the experiments that we do, we're probably right in that, that middle point that you mentioned, Matt, where we're, we have that healthy tension of leaning both towards uh, our social vision and our revenue. And if you look at all of the experiments, for example, that my team has done over the last year and initiatives that we've been involved with, with COVID, with some of our revenue things, with retention, if I was to average that out over the course of this year of 2020, you would see that my team and a lot of our teams land right in the middle in terms of balancing that. So I'm hoping that that is obviously maintained over time as well, because that is one of the things that's most unique about working at a company that's really a social enterprise and trying to balance the two in a way that's very different than other organizations that are only focused on revenue and getting to that next stage in terms of year-over-year growth. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense. And it really sounds like so much of it is anchored in like the interview process and making sure those expectations are set and, you know, seeing that you're pulling in people that understand that there's a balance and it's not a company that just does one or the other exclusively. Exactly. Your team over there has built a pretty cool place. So I'm out of questions here. I mean, I have plenty more, but I think we'll go ahead and and wrap up the podcast here. Do you have any parting words or things that you didn't get to touch on? Feel free to say no. Uh, But if you do, now's the chance to toss them out there. No, I think I'm good. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thanks again. These examples were really awesome. Uh, I I think that they really highlighted the ins and outs of this sort of process. And we got to go deep in a few of them. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much again for joining. For all the folks listening, I know you have so many other things that you could spend your time on and listen to or watch or whatever it might be. So thank you for spending your time here listening to this. There are plenty more episodes with amazing people. Uh, So if you're a fan of this, check out the others, hit that subscribe button, leave feedback. My email is mattadrift.com. Shoot me a note for anything you might need. And thank you again. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.